Well, welcome into the Frary and Smith podcast. Happy Monday to all the Sunbelt fans out there and more importantly, our listeners. We finally have football to break down and Caden, what a weekend it was in the Sunbelt. Ton of good ball this weekend from the Sunbelt. You can't ask for much more as far as the opening week. Obviously, you got some electric matchups. We saw some Sunbelt teams compete at a very high level with some Power 5 teams to take care of business against some lower-level teams. It's definitely, if this this week one was a representation of what the year is going to be like for the Sunbelt, it's definitely about to be a super exciting year of ball. Yeah, I think that is a great point. It was just an outstanding weekend. It was a banner weekend. We talked in our first episode about the Sunbelt's kind of standing in this new college football world, the differing strategies. And I think this weekend really showed that that strategy of regional rivalries and a lot of good football is really going to pay off. And I want to take a moment just kind of to start this episode with a couple of thank yous and also some shout outs to some different people that helped make this past weekend possible inside the Sunbelt. And you know, honestly, I wanted to start with something a little unconventional here, and that was a thank you to Whit Babcock and Brent Pry, the Virginia Tech athletic director and the head coach of Virginia Tech, as well as to UNC athletic director Bubba Cunningham and their head coach, Matt Brown, for making this weekend possible. Those were two of the best games, I think, of the entire weekend where you saw Virginia Tech travel to Old Dominion. They played in front of a sellout crowd, electric atmosphere. Obviously, that game went Old Dominion's way, but a special thank you to the Virginia Tech you know, universe for making that game possible. And I think also UNC, we saw probably the best game of the weekend. It's been talked on every channel, and that couldn't have happened without UNC taking the step to go play at a Group of Five conference in week one. And that's something that we've seen a lot of disagreement on in the universe right now, particularly from ACC people talking about, you know, why are we scheduling these games in week one when other Power Five conferences aren't? And You know, I think my retort to that is it's great for college football. It might not be great for the ACC. And I think the biggest thing is they need to be able to take care of business when they go to these opponents. But we obviously saw an extremely high level of play here in week one. And then I wanted to move on to some shout outs. And, you know, really, that starts with, you know, four universities and their staffs. I look at App State, Doug Gillen, the athletic director, Coastal Carolina, Matt Hogue, Old Dominion, Camden Sea League and James Madison, Jeff Bourne and their staffs, the people inside the athletic departments. And my biggest shout out to them is for creating such incredible atmospheres this past weekend. We saw App State with a record 40,000 people in attendance. They sold out. So did Coastal and Old Dominion. James Madison, a very near sellout. But a huge shout out to them and their staffs, the people in marketing, the people who put on those broadcasts. Just such a great atmosphere and a great way to showcase Sunbelt football. And then finally, I wanted to say a quick thank you to all of the fans that came out. Caden, I went and did some math. It was not, that's not my strong suit, but I was able to do some tabulations here. The final tallies over the weekend, 219,998 fans witnessed Sunbelt football at home this weekend, including the record 40,168 at App State for that absolute shootout that we're going to get into in a minute. So just an absolutely banner weekend. So many people should be applauded, including Commissioner Gill for bringing all this together. There's so much excitement around the league, and I'm really excited to be a part of it. Me too. And obviously, we've talked in the previous episode a little bit about conference realignment and those changes that are happening at the Power Five level of college football. But we also talked about how the Sunbelt's kind of tapping into that regional aspect of college football. I think the next couple of years, you might see 
not as many regional games. And it sounds like it seems like the Sun Belt's not only tapping into that as far as the conference, but the out-of-conference scheduling as well. You get those backyard matchups between UNC and App State, in-state with Virginia Tech going against ODU. It's just great for college football, especially if you look at the future and the trajectory of it, where we might be getting away from that a little bit. When we see this expansion and the playoff expanding, we might see more across the the nation rivalries and games be developing, but it sounds like the Sun Belt's kind of doing their part in trying to keep it more local. And that it's really shown from the fan bases we saw this weekend, like you mentioned. I think there is something to keeping those games close, keeping them in driving distance, and keeping the fans engaged in this whole journey that we're going to go through with the Sun Belt is super exciting. I think the Sun Belt's definitely doing their part in trying to establish themselves as that premier group of five conference that's coming up. There's a lot of regional juice in these games and matchups, whether you look non-conference or in the conference. So I think it's an exciting time just to be in any of the states that are really represented in the Sun Belt Conference. And I'm definitely looking forward to seeing how the season plays out. Incredible weekend of games. So much excitement. I found myself, as did you, glued to the television All day yesterday, I think I got up off the couch like twice, and that was to go pick up the pizza that I promised I was going to pick up on Friday. So definitely so much fun watching football. Well, let's not waste any time. Let's dive right in. And Caden, I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk about what I'm considering the game of the weekend, App State, North Carolina. That game, an absolute shootout, 63-61 to final. It was the first time that we've ever seen that score in college football history. Just an incredible game. I had a couple of superlatives that I had seen that I just thought I wanted to mention here before we really dug into this matchup. 120 points scored was more than the UNC App State basketball game a year ago. Found that one really interesting. (laughs) This was also the first time that a team has scored 44th quarter points in over 15 years, talking about App State. And then we saw a combined total of 62 points in the fourth quarter alone, which was just one shy of the FBS record. So if you didn't go back and watch that game, defense completely optional, but man, I loved watching that shootout. No, obviously my, my black and gold heart and us making our pick on app state, it definitely, it definitely crushed us a little bit, but if you're an everyday college football man, I mean, what, what else could you ask for? It was obviously an electric crowd, an electric environment, and it's just an absurd amount of points scored. You have to give a shout out to Chase Bryce and Kevin Barbe, the new offensive coordinator for running that system. It was just electric. I think other than Chase's one interception, he had a masterclass of a game and he looked very, very comfortable in that offense. And I just have to give a shout out to Kevin Barbet. I didn't know if some people might have saw my tweet. I was like, did this guy come from the Shanahan coaching tree? He just had so much misdirection and creativity and keeping defenses on their toes really the whole game. And it's something that's definitely going to be able to keep an eye out on as far as the rest of the season goes. But I just want to do some football nerding out real quick. I mean, he utilized the tight end so much. That's something that hasn't really happened much at App State in a long time. He had Cam and um, Nate rushing for a ton of yards both got in the end zone, something that obviously App State hangs their hat on and they're not going away from that that run game identity, but also sprink, sprinkled in a ton of pass. I mean, you saw six different receiving targets score. I've never seen that many different receiving targets utilized in an App State game. Probably the most I've ever seen offensive weapons at App State touch the ball and spread the love. So he's definitely proving that Hey, we do have some receiving threats. We do have some guys. We know there were some question marks there heading into this game, but he was just putting teams in all sorts of, he was putting UNC in all sorts of different situations. He had a running back, Anderson Castle, at the Wildcat, getting short yardage plays. He had a play where he snapped it to Cam, handed it off back to Chase and scored it. Just even the touchdowns and even the, obviously, we can talk about those two-point conversions, but those were both really good play calls right close to the goal line. So huge shout out to him and what he had going with off the offense for App State this day. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and just admit that I have never been more invested in a college football game than I was for that game yesterday. 
I found myself in, in Caden, you can call me out here. There was a moment in that third quarter. I thought that game was over. ECU NC State was close, so I switched the channel. Next thing you know, about three minutes later, I get a text. App State just scored 14 points. That game got close. And then I tuned back in. And Caden, I went back and looked at the receipts on our text messages yesterday. And it was at 3.29 p.m. exactly that I texted you and said, Big Mo, meaning momentum, is starting to shift in this game. It did in a big way. App State scores 40 points. I say it again, 40 points in the fourth quarter. Just an outstanding offensive performance. And, you know, really that gets me kind of into my first point for this game. And Chase Bryce is the real deal. He's the real McCoy. He goes 25 for 38 yesterday, 361 yards, does have those six touchdown passes, that one INT, and then the overthrow on that two-point conversion. But honestly, I felt like the receiver could have kept running instead of slowing down there. So it was a good pass by Chase. But to me, he's the real deal, and he just put himself probably at the top of my list for conference offensive player of the year. And I, I can't blame you for that. I mean, I've seen we've obviously seen Chase played a couple of different destinations, got some playing time at Clemson, played at Duke, and then the App State offense last year. And I, it's safe to say I think this is the most comfortable he's ever looked. I mean, the talent's always been there. Saw it last year when he lit it up with the yards and touchdown passes he threw. But just the level of comfort he had, he was making all his right reads and Barbe also did a great job of taking the ball out of his hands sometimes, giving the defense different looks, some jet sweep stuff, some different run game stuff, some easy throws to the tight ends and come in tandem with those deep shots that he had to take at the end of the game. And he was just putting on the money. So I think if you're any team in the Sunball right now and you're watching that offensive performance, you're you're definitely have a little bit a little bit more to worry about than I think you you thought you had to worry about going into this season. And that transitions right into the opposite kind of story we have going on with the defense for App State. Clearly not their best performance. Saw some some major mess-ups in the secondary, some busted coverages, some penalties, some tackling mistakes, and there's definitely a lot for Dale Jones and that side of the ball to clean up heading into their next matchup. Caden, you obviously were a defensive back. You were a safety. We saw the struggles at that position yesterday. If you were App State moving into you know week two, another tough test against Texas A&M and throughout the rest of the season, what are the biggest adjustments that they need to make? Well, I think being at App State in my time there, our defense is just a very player-led and accountable group. And we just take pride in what we do and running to the football and that being our identity is stopping them. And I think we did that. They didn't get that done. So I think they're going to have a long look in the mirror. They're, they're, obviously, there's some things they have to fix schematically as far as their personnel goes, trying to see, especially in that secondary, if the problems with their their depth or with their scheme. But I think at the end of the day, the defense is just going to look themselves in the mirror and look at their effort and what they had to do in that game and the tackles they could have made, the the blown coverages. I mean, I remember I saw I saw a play where I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spoil their defensive scheme, but I I saw one safety trying to communicate to the other safety that he needed to get across the field, and it ended up being a UNC touchdown. So I think they had a lot of those plays, and there's definitely a lot of stuff to clean up. I think the good news for their defense is there is a lot to coach up the penalties, the busted coverage, even the end of game situations on the offensive side as well and clock management, stuff like that. They have a lot to clean up. And the good news that is that is that this isn't conference play and they have some time to clean some stuff up. The bad news, I think, though, is unfortunately they go to A&M next week and there's just no universe where A&M watches that game and doesn't think they're going to attack the secondary. I mean, any 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 offense is going to watch the film of that and think they're about to have a field day. So they're going to get a and m group who's probably more talented out wide and in the backfield then UNC, and they're going to be attacking the same things UNC attacked. So obviously they have some injuries to f- figure out as well. We saw Ronald Clark go down for a little bit. Brendan Harrington, we had some backups playing in those roles. They're going to have to get healthy. They're going to have to get in the film room, and they're going to have to really look in the mirror and look at each other and say, what kind of defense are we going to be this year? I mean, everyone's kind of counting us out because we lost so much talent this year. Are we going to have a fall off, or are we going to keep that consistent way that we've been 
running to the football. Obviously, a lot of good linebacker play. Saw my my, my defensive player of the year, Nick Hampton, looking good. And the linebackers are definitely going to be the strength of that team if you look at them running the ball with Trey Cobb. Even the transfer from Arkansas, from Arkansas number 15, who was holding it down in the middle linebacker spot. I think they're going to have to lean on that linebacking group to lead them and clean some stuff up for them going forward. I think one of my biggest takeaways, and I think if there was one thing that needs to be cleaned up defensively, that's the inability for App State to get off the field on third down. They go 9 of 14 yesterday. UNC converts 64% of those third down. And really, that's where the game changed. If you remember back early on in that game, it's 21-7. UNC third and long. Drake May throws a little ball out to the left-hand side of the field, able to break a couple of tackles, get that lengthy first down. And then, you know, they went on to score, and I think they scored 28 unanswered points after that. So to me, that needs to be cleaned up. But I'm betting on this App State defense to figure those things out. For me, there was a few more questions on offense. Those were answered. So I'm feeling really good about App State as a team this year. Their offense definitely has nothing to worry about. They have their stable of running backs playing at a high level. Their receivers all stepped up to the, to the occasion. And I, obviously the offensive line doesn't get a lot of love in the game of football, but they did an outstanding job creating good running lanes and keeping Chase comfortable in that pocket. Shout out to those guys. They call them the Bulls up front. They were playing nasty. They had a couple personal foul and a little after the whistle penalties, but we'll take those because that's kind of how you want the identity of your offensive line to be. But on defense, yes, they definitely have some things to figure out. Definitely have some reckoning to do and. I'm excited to watch them get into conference play. I think this A&M game is obviously going to be a tough challenge on both sides of the ball. But I think, like I said before, the strength of their schedules at the top of it. I think as the season goes along, they're going to, we have plenty of time to see how it's going to unfold for App State. You know, and we'll end it right here and then we'll move on to our next game. But I think one of the things I loved was the postgame comments from Sean Clark. And clearly he is a player's coach. He knew exactly what he needed to say afterwards. And this quote really stood out for me. It was right as he was ending his part of the press conference and you saw Chase Bryce come into the room. He was starting to come up to the podium. This is Sean Clark's exact words here. And I just love this sentiment. He says, this guy right here talking about Chase Bryce has guts. He, he went on to say he's a damn winner. We're glad he's in our program. He fought his tail off today. I love this kid. He bleeds black and gold. I love hearing that the sentiment from Sean Clark, and I think that even builds the confidence that Chase Bryce displayed in the game even further. And I think Chase could be in for a you know massive leap this year at the quarterback position, and I think that's fantastic news if you're an App State fan. For sure. It's great news. And another thing, just also shout out to Drake May. He was giving App State defense problems. Obviously, we had our problems on the defensive side, but he was extending plays with his legs, making those third down conversions. He was really a big piece of that. But also for App State fans, <laughs> we didn't get outplayed. I think that effort was still out there. Chase obviously balled out and never felt like he was out of that game. Even the defense, you saw Nick Ross making that long run to chase a, chase the player down to stop UNC from scoring force that fumble on the defensive side. So obviously the heart and the character of that App State team is still in a good spot. They just obviously have to clean some stuff up moving forward. Well, that was probably the biggest game of the weekend. It resulted in a loss. But if there was a second game this weekend and we didn't even, we kind of skipped over it on Friday, that was the ODU-Virginia Tech game. It was at Old Dominion and Old Dominion pulls off the shocker, taking down ACC opponent Virginia Tech 20-17. to Here's a couple of things to think about with this matchup. Old Dominion, I think they felt a bit slated at the media days this year. They were picked seventh in the East Division despite bringing back a lot of guys. They've now won six of their last seven games after starting one and six a year ago. The only loss there was in the bowl game to Tulsa. There was a lot of interesting things that happened in this game. None more interesting than an elevator delay. Have you ever heard of an elevator delay? The coaches went down to the locker room at halftime. 
And then as they tried to make their way back up to the press box for the start of the second half, they got stuck in the elevator. It might have been a strategy for Old Dominion. It paid off in a big way, and they pulled off one of the biggest victories in recent memory for the Monarchs. I've seen some very competitive coaches in my day, and I I wouldn't put it past any college football coach in week one. To, you know what? Like, let's we need a little bit more time to game plan and prep for this second half. Let's let me just hit this button real quick, get us stuck in the elevator real quick to 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 get some more game planning in before halftime. But no, obviously a great game, um, defensive dogfight for sure. We saw Grant Wells, who I, I mistakenly said he went to West Virginia. That's on me. He was at Virginia Tech, but he was playing in this game, and the ODU defense caused him to throw four interceptions, which really I think was the one of the big differences in this game is forcing him into some uncomfortable situations, getting the ball out not on time and getting some turnovers. They obviously had that big field goal, mishap, scoop and score touchdown. Their only their second touchdown of the day, their offense only scored one of their time. So it was definitely a, a big defense and special teams game, which we've seen in the past in this conference is huge and is the difference between winning ball games. Yeah, I think the biggest point I had for this game was a simple mantra, win however you can. In this game, Virginia Tech, they had 100 more yards of total offense. And, you know, really my second point for this for this game was Hayden Wolf was unimpressive. He went 14 for 35, threw for just 165 yards. So for you to give up more total offense and have unimpressive quarterback play and still come out with this victory, I think that is huge for the Monarchs' confidence. And I went into this season, I did not think that they were the seventh team in that East Division. I do think, especially maybe with Marshall missing a couple of pieces, Obviously, Rashina Lee, his status still up in the air. I think there's a chance here for Old Dominion to make a little bit of noise in the East. For sure, especially on the defensive side. Obviously, their offense did not get going in the beginning of the game, but their defense for six three and outs, which is huge. And they had the turnovers, which the offense didn't necessarily capitalize on until the very end of the game. I think Hayden Wolf and Ali Jennings towards the end of the game came to life, had some big long passes to shift that momentum and get things going to set them up. But I think ultimately why ODU won this game was obviously their defensive performance, but they also took care of the ball better. Five turnovers, Virginia Tech, they only had two, which is some stuff that ODU obviously wants to clean up. And they were less penalized. Virginia Tech had 14 penalties for 100 yards and ODU only had six for 65. So I think if you take care, if you have a good defense and you can take care of the ball and force the other team to have some turnovers, you're always going to have a chance. And I think that's what they did. Yeah, I think one other bright spot in this game, we talked on Friday about this kind of being the year of the running back and you know losing a lot of talent at that wide receiver position. I think Ali Jennings here made a statement, five receptions for 122 yards. And to me, he has to be in the conversation for wide receiver one in this league. I think you saw some other great performances. Uh, Jalen Wayne, we're not going to really get into that South Alabama game today, but he had a big game and we'll get into a few more big games out of wide receivers. But I think Ali Jennings made a big step towards putting himself in that upper echelon in the Sun Belt. No, I think that receiver title belt, like we mentioned, that's kind of up for grabs in the sun. But we saw some people definitely start to make a campaign. And even on the defensive side of the ball, we obviously saw a lot of great defensive performances this weekend. And granted, some of those teams were playing some not very good teams, but especially against a power five team, you can't really ask for much more out of that Old Dominion defense. And they're definitely trying to establish themselves as one of those best defenses in the conference, which is going to be huge for them. So those two games, Old Dominion, Virginia Tech, a three point win for ODU and App State, North Carolina, obviously a two point loss for the Mountaineers. But then we got into a game that was just an absolute blowout and you know as I thought about this game more the song name Purple Rain came to mind and because that's what James Madison was doing to Middle Tennessee State they were raining balls all over the field looking at you Todd Santayo just an absolute incredible performance there for James Madison and what was their first ever home game as an FBS program it was a near sellout and you know I think I went back and thought about what was said during Sunbelt Media Days by head coach Kurt Signetti and 
This quote still baffles me. It blows my mind that he is, I think it's borderline cocky, but it's uh, an extreme level of confidence in the culture that has been built at James Madison. He said, and I quote from the podium, it's not a matter of if, but when JMU will be on the top of the Sun Belt. I think we thought it was going to be a couple of years. The statement that they made, no matter how good you think Middle Tennessee State is going to be this year, they said we're already in the conversation here in year one. I mean, what a FBS debut. They came out swinging and they really, I think they put the whole sunbot on notice. Obviously, everyone's been wondering all offseason if their FCS success would translate to the Sunbelt Conference. And I think, obviously, Middle Tennessee isn't in the Sunbelt, but they're a team that, you know, we, Sunbelt teams have played in bowl games. We've played close and they're they're around the same level as far as as far as far talent goes in a lot of these different teams in the Sunbelt. But, God, what a performance from them. I mean, we talked about the quarterbacks and tails. He led them and is just, I think it was very important that they didn't kept their cards close and didn't name him the starter because J, um, Middle Tennessee clearly wasn't ready for the offensive attack he bring. I mean, his read option game, his th- the way he threw the ball, it was fantastic. He's a very strong runner. I think I'm a little bit worried about him taking some hits, but he rushed for 100 yards in this game as well. It seemed like the first person who tried to tackle him every time just wasn't getting it done. He's a big body. Hopefully he takes a little bit better care of his body throughout the season. But I think running the ball, he was so effective when he was on script and on time throwing the ball as well. He was doing his thing and hitting Chris Thornton a ton of times in the end zone. And I think he just had a great balanced game of when I have to be decisive and make the right read and make the right throw, I'm going to do it. But then when I have to improvise, I can also make it to where it's going to be a win-win situation no matter what. So I think he played a great game on and off script as well for them. Yeah, if you go back to Friday's episode, and I think I'm going to lay stake to this claim, I said on that episode that James Madison would come out of this game against Middle Tennessee State with a clear winner of the QB1 competition. That was Todd Santayo in this game. He was just incredible. Those program, He tied the program record with six passing touchdowns, also rushed for the 110 yards. And you know, I think the other thing here. We just a moment ago talked about the play of Ollie Jennings for Old Dominion. It was an outstanding performance for wide receiver Chris Thornton. 12 catches for 155 yards. He finishes one catch shy of his career high. He catapulted himself into an upper echelon. And if you you know team him up with the running backs for James Madison and the QB1, to me, this is an electric offense that you know in a couple of weeks they go to App State. And I know, Caden, you're already thinking about heading up to that game. We could see another shootout in Boone if both of these offenses come to play. For sure. I mean, the offense was clicking on all cylinders. It was a great play from them. They looked confident. He looked confident throwing it to Chris Thornton. I think he they might have found their QB1, but I think Santayo also found his wide receiver one, who's who's going to be his go-to target to go throughout the year. But also want to give that defensive shout-out. I mean, we obviously don't know what Middle Tennessee's offense is going to look like throughout the year, but Holding a team to 12 rushing yards is just absurd. On 28 attempts, that's just crazy. You'll take that every day of the week and twice on Sunday. 107 passing, you'll take that every day. Held them to 4-16 to 16 on efficiency on third down. They got off the field very well. And also shout out to their special teams. You know, I think they had some good returns. And they controlled the clock the whole game. They flipped the field when they had to. And I think that really helped Sintayo in the offense really get into their flow because they almost always had good field position when they didn't, they had their good drives. And when they did, they capitalized on the field position. So I think he obviously had a very similar performance to to chase Bryce this weekend, but I think he obviously got a lot more out of his defense and he was really able to shine and play really carefree football. And it's definitely going to be exciting to watch JMU try to make some noise in this already deep Eastern side of the Sunbelt. Hey, all I'm saying is at the end of this episode for the first time, Caden is going to make his picks of the week and who's the best offensive and defensive player. I think he's going to have some trouble at the offensive position, but we'll get into that into a few moments. And, you know, we talk about three great games here and then we move to a game that I think we both consider the ugliest game of the day. 
But ultimately, we saw some bright spots, and that's that Southern Miss Liberty game. It was, it was. I didn't really enjoy the game. I'll just be honest. I give me offensive football all day long. But Southern Miss played their guts out in this one. They, I think, was it four different quarterbacks in this game, and you know they played in front of the the third largest crowd in the Sun Belt over the weekend. So again, good on the Southern Miss, you know, staff getting a lot of players out there. I think Will Hall still wanted more fans out there. He said that after the game. He thought the you know, the the crowd show up was a little bit pathetic, I think, when he wanted more. And I understand that from him. Um, it was also the longest game in Southern Miss history. It ends in four overtimes, dueling two-point conversion attempts at the end. Who knew that was even a rule in college football? But, you know, that's how it goes. Southern Miss loses this game 29-27. And, you know, my hottest take from this game, Caden, is Frank Gore Jr., who we put in the conversation as – you know, one of the top running backs in this conference, he might also be the best quarterback for Southern Miss on that roster. Rushes for 178 yards, two touchdowns, also threw for 48 yards. They're calling him the super back, and I really like that that mantra. Well, I'm just going to give you and me, no, I'm going to give us the, the loyal podcasters of the week award because just like we were talking, we were texting during the UNC App State game. We were also texting during, during this game and we sat through this one as well. And it was very different text messages despite these games both coming down to the wire and being close ones. They were night and day. If you looked at the box score of both of these games, you're like, oh, wow, this, this, these games look great. Let's go watch the highlights. If you watch the UNC highlights versus App State and you watch these Southern Miss Liberty highlights, they were going to be night and day as far as what you got out of both teams. But yeah, uh, Southern Miss, man, what stood out to me the most was just that offense. They definitely have some things to figure out. They had Key start the game. He threw two interceptions, then went down on a terrible targeting call. It got blown up. And then you throw Trey Lowe in there and he throws an interception on his next play. And the rest of your game, the rest of the game, you're rotating quarterbacks. You're putting Frank Gore Jr. in there, like you said. He actually threw some dimes, that's for sure. Ran the ball well for them. But I just think it was it was kind of like watching a, a high school JV offense who was really just trying to get the ball in the best players' hands. And I think there's more creative ways to do that than what they were doing. But I definitely think they have some offensive things to figure out. But their defense looked pretty solid throughout the game, I think. Yeah, I think based on what you just said, this is also a great opportunity for us to maybe plug the hot takes that we put out on Twitter over the weekend. So if you haven't followed Caden and I yet on Twitter, please do. Caden at underscore Smith is a great follow. His followers jumped exponentially this weekend, newer to Twitter. And then, you know, for me, head over to at calls by Noah. Some, you know, I'm not going to call them great takes because I don't want to tweet my own horn. But I did think there was a couple of good takes there over the weekend that maybe needed a little bit more love. So, you know, head over to Twitter, show us some love. And we'd love to, you know, kind of hear from you, our listeners throughout I think one other bright spot for Southern Miss was I really liked their defense. And I said I expected to like their defense on Friday. They were outstanding. Three interceptions, one forced fumble, 11 TFLs in this game. I know there were some question marks at quarterback for Liberty, but I really felt like Southern Miss and their defense played very well and certainly kept themselves in this game. I'm going to give you a quick correction. There's actually two underscores between my Twitter handle, Caden and Smith. Sorry, it's it's Caden Caden underscore Smith was taken. It is what it is. But thank you all for the Twitter love. Obviously, got some huge support from some big names in the Sunbelt Conference this weekend. But no, I definitely think their defense played well. And it's just sad because I think their offense may handcuff them the whole year. I think they contain the quarterback very well, obviously stop the run and force some turnovers, like you said. But ultimately, if they're going to win games this year, it looks like they're going to have to win them in a similar fashion that Old Dominion did this weekend. Not really be able to rely on your offense as much. Kind of put your hard hat on every day. 
and just work and try to do the best you can to score on defense and just keep the other team from scoring and hoping your offense can at least get something going. Okay, and I'm not even going to give you a chance to respond about this next game because we're going to go through it so quickly. But really, our goal here was kind of, you know, to highlight the four newcomers into the Sun Belt this year. Uh, obviously, Old Dominion picks up the victory on Friday night. JMU goes and picks up the win yesterday. Southern Miss falls. And then, you know, the fourth newcomer in this one, Marshall, they were playing Norfolk State. So, you know, really, I don't think you can get a ton out of that game. The two is the two things that I noticed was, you know, it was kind of an expected victory. And I think, you know, Norfolk State, they might as well be a, an honorary member of the Sun Belt because they're going to play another Sun Belt team next weekend. But my biggest takeaway Henry Columbia goes 24 of 26, 92% passing in this game. You know, again, a pretty poor Norfolk State defense, so don't read too much into that. We mentioned on Friday, too, Rashina Lee was going to be, you know, out for the foreseeable future for Marshall. I was impressed with their group of running backs. They rushed for nearly 400 yards, four touchdowns, a couple of 100-yard rushers. Marshall wins 55-3 to three going away, and the new members of the Sun Belt go 3-1 and one on in Week 1. And so I think that was a lot of excitement, obviously, building on the depth that is the Sun Belt. I'm going to now transition us to talk about what was a very good game late last night, another game that you and me were watching. I kind of I think we were both sending pictures back and forth of our setups. I know you had a couple of televisions going. I figured out how to, you know, on ESPN Plus have four games up at once. I was watching multiple games, but I spent a lot of time on this Coastal Army game. And we talked about it a lot on Friday. This was a pure trap game if there ever was a trap game army they've come in they've won their last three regular season openers uh, they came to Conway and had to play in front of a sellout fee, um, sellout fan base a bunch of Sean's fans there was a lot of beer flowing down at Coastal Carolina it was an electric atmosphere but I think my biggest takeaway in this game was Jamie Chadwell really had his team prepared for this game it would have been so easy to lose game one here and then there would have been all sorts of questions about this Coastal Carolina team. He had his team prepared. They win by 10 points in front of a sellout crowd in Conway. Yeah, I think whatever Chadwell said to those guys at halftime definitely got them going because I think they definitely showed a lot more swagger, a lot more juice. The announcers were talking about in the, at the end of the game towards the end, it looked like Coastal had that swagger back. And I think that's a lot of what they rely on. They obviously have that fan base that's always going to have the drinks flowing and having a good time. But it seemed like they were feeding off of them more in the second half because in the first half, it ended tied 14-14. And it looked like Coastal was the better football team, but that Army's brand of football was just winning. Like I said in the pre-show, they were keeping the ball out of Grayson McCall's hands. They did gash him for one long run. Like I said, they weren't gaps on that one play. But I think also we had some question marks about running the running back game for Coastal, and they ran the ball a lot better than we expected. 263 yards on the ground. He had 133 and a touchdown for Reese White, a senior. I think he had a great showing. And I think, like, like, we, like we knew before, Grayson McCall, man, an absolute maestro on the offensive side. Three touchdowns, one on the ground. And just an efficient day for him. Nothing, nothing you expect less from him. He clearly has that offense known like the back of his hand. And I think he and that offense are going to be very hard to stop if he's playing this efficiently all year. Yeah, I mean, Grayson McCall, it's an okay day. He goes 12 for 17, only threw the ball 17 times. I think he's going to throw it more in the future. I think he has to. But, you know, again, what do you expect out of Grayson McCall? He knows the offense really well. It's going to be high efficiency passing. He still threw for 174 yards and three touchdowns. There's a lot of quarterbacks in this league that would be envious of that line having thrown 30-plus passes. So good on Grayson McCall. I think he did what he needed to do in this game. He managed the game well, and, you know, no problem there with him. I think the biggest question mark, Heading into this game was who was going to be, you know, his top wide receiver targets. And, you know, I think coming out of this game, one of the things that you really saw was there is a clear duo forming between Sam Pinckney, the Georgia State transfer and Grayson McCall. I thought they looked good 
throughout the game. I thought that is probably going to be Grayson McCall's go-to wide receiver for the rest of the year. Yeah, it definitely looked like it. And Grayson just really looked like the point guard. He looked more like a point guard of the offense more than the quarterback. He had everybody on a string. He knew where everyone was going to be. He was making the right reads. He made some great throws in the back of the end zone to him on the sideline to him. If you give him enough time, Grayson's going to make the right read. You saw him drop back a couple of times, get some time to look at the zone, see where the players were playing and just put it on the money every time. And like I mentioned before, he's obviously who I picked to be my offensive player of the year in the conference. And I think we kind of saw a flash of that at the end. I thought he's going to have to put his Superman cape on a little bit more with a little bit less of a supporting cast and a defense than he had before. And I think we saw that with him running the ball in towards the end of the game, kind of brought that swagger back. And I think he's, again, like I said before, he's going to be hard to stop. I mean, he's played in so many close games. And in the second half, I think him and the team really just took control of the game. Even if they were down, up, it didn't really matter, tied. He's played in so many close games, and I think he's going to be a hard person to shake and rattle in this conference at the quarterback position. You mentioned earlier when we started talking about this game, too, just the you know strong play, the running back position. And I felt like Reese White really stepped up. And we talked about how you know many rushing yards there were in this game. And what you almost forget is that star, probably first, second team all-conference running back, Braden Bennett, out for this game. But Reese White runs for 133 yards and a touchdown. I think that was big. You look at Coastal, they win this game by 10 points. What could it have been if Braden Bennett had been playing? I think that's a big loss, but good to see multiple guys in that running back room stepping up. Yeah, their bread and butter is obviously going to be that that run game and do the passing game off of that. But I think when you play against a team like Army, it's hard to kind of beat them in their own scheme. They're, they obviously have seen the, the option game, and Coastal's has a little bit of foundational option running games in their offense, and Army kind of kind of had that known like the back of their hand because they see that often but in the second half it definitely got going a little bit better and I think if you're the coastal defense you obviously had a a rough night having to defend the run and I'm sure their training room is very full of defensive players who had to make a ton of tackles and tackle that giant back that army had so I think it was a tank an absolute tank in there for army he looked like an offensive guard I would have hated to tackle that guy but they they did what they had to do they got him down when they had to and I think they rest up keep things going and their momentum going. Coastal is just going to be another team in the East that's going to be hard to stop. Obviously, they lost some talent from last year, but I think they showed that they still have a lot of the same foundational principles and that, that swagger that they had from before. 344 yards of total offense for Army in this game. Caden, does that concern you at all, or do you just chalk it up to the triple option? It's a triple option. I think literally most of that was on two plays. They had that gashing run in the first half for like a 70-yard run. And then in the second half, they had that post route that went big for them that you you never see coming when you're playing against a, a triple option team. So I think those are just the mistakes and what comes with playing a triple option team. But they had they had control of it the most of the game regardless. And I think moving forward, when, especially when they get into that Sunbelt schedule, they're going to see some familiar faces that they've stopped plenty of times in the past and they'll probably look to do that again. Well, as you have probably noticed as we've gone down through multiple of these games, you know, it was just an outstanding weekend in the Sun Belt. I mean, you even look at Arkansas State had a really good game. Georgia State played South Carolina tough despite losing in that one. I think South Alabama, your pick to win the West, Caden, had a really good game. Just not enough time to get into those on today's episode. But, you know, I thought Louisiana disappointed a little bit this weekend against Southeast Southeastern Louisiana. I think that's going to be something to pay attention to. But, you know, really, as we went down through this today, there was just so many outstanding individual performances. And one of the things that we're going to do each week moving forward is a segment at the end of our recap episode called Cadence Picks of the Weeks. Wanted to, you know, play a little bit on your you know, role as a DB, even though is it's been well documented, you didn't have a single pick last year. I just wanted to state that again, but he's going to give us his top offensive and defensive players from the previous weekend. So, Caden, 
I'm going to hand it over to you. I'm sure on the offensive side of the ball, you really had a tough time picking just one player, but I know you were able to settle on one, unlike some of my takes where I just take a unit. First of all, no, it's week one and it's super early. My South Alabama and ULL pick are looking pretty good week one. Second of all, love the dig at my picks. I'm, it's looking like I'm going to get my picks back this year. I'm going to get a pick every week, it sounds like. Two picks every week. So my stat line's about to go up a little bit more. But let's get right into it, man. My offensive player of the week it was obviously tough. So many great performances from great quarterbacks and even wide receivers this week. But I just have to give it to JMU quarterback Noah Centeno. 21 for 33, 287 yards, six touchdowns, zero interceptions. And then he added 14 carries and 110 yards. I think obviously, like I said before, Chase Bryce had a great performance. He had that one interception. And I think his defense and his team really put him in some different scenarios. But Centeno, man, just to have your first start for JMU, FBS powerhouse now looking like I think they just had to make a statement and prove something in this game and he did and they certainly did so I'm giving my offensive player of the week to him on the defensive side though give me old dominion safety Robert Kennedy the third I'm always going to give a safety love when I can it's going to be rare when you see a safety win player of the week but on this podcast the safeties are getting love he had seven tackles two pass breakups and that crucial fumble recovery on the field goal picks it up scoop and score touchdown it was the second touchdown of the game. If he wouldn't have made that touchdown, I think that game looks a lot differently when you look at the Old Dominion offense only scoring one touchdown in the game. So he obviously had a big shift of momentum. That was one of those balls, one of those fumbles we talk about. Um, there's city balls and there's country balls. The city balls, when it's crowded and you have to jump on it and the, the Virginia Tech um, holder tried to jump on it, it popped out. Kennedy said, you know what, this is a city ball. Now I'm going to pick this thing up and score. So big shout out to him swinging the momentum in that game. And those are my picks of the week. City balls and country balls. I have never heard that before, but I definitely am going to be using that on some of my broadcasts moving forward. Yeah, I think those are two great picks. I mean, the only thing that you could say is, you know, could Chase Bryce have kind of been co-offensive player of the week? I think it was a tough decision to make. Maybe the rushing yards, you know, put Centio over the hill. And, you know, obviously Chase did throw one interception, but they each had six touchdowns. So really good game offensively. And, you know, I think Robert Kennedy, just a great pick there. That scoop and score made it 10-7 at the time, really shifted the momentum. Virginia Tech would take the lead, but then obviously Old Dominion stormed back, won that game. And so I think those are some great picks. Caden's going to, we're going to get those out on Twitter each week and feel free to interact. And, you know, I think that there was so many good performances that I'm sure there's going to be fans that are going to disagree with Caden, but that's the point of Twitter. That's the point of this podcast. Feel free to disagree with us and feel free to let us know about it on Twitter or any other platforms that we're on. We're really excited to kind of, you know, work with each one of you, the fans, our listeners throughout these next couple of weeks and to kind of see where the Sunbelt heads. So that will do it for our first weekend recap episode. Again, we'd like to say a special thank you to the Sunbelt fans and our listeners for giving this podcast such a great reception over the weekend. Caden and I were really excited to be starting this journey with you. We did want to give you a quick reminder that we'll be back with another episode on Wednesday of this week. And I'm telling you now, you won't want to miss this episode because we'll have our first guest on the podcast. And if you haven't guessed already for maybe some of the tea leafs, we're going to have App State quarterback Chase Bryce on the con on the podcast. We're going to be asking him certainly about this shootout of a game over the weekend against UNC. But we're looking forward to talking with him about that crazy game and just so much more about who he is both on and off the field. So make sure to tune in on Wednesday as we interview App State quarterback Chase Bryce. Well, again, thanks so much for listening. It was another great episode of Frary, of the Frary and Smith podcast. If you'd like what you heard today, make sure to subscribe to the show on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you'd be so kind, take a moment to rate the show or leave us a quick review. 
Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again soon.